Hello, everybody. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. It's good to be, be around a whole bunch of friends and family. And we are honored to be here in the presence of God and each other. So thank you for coming. So I am exhausted, and it's, it's like all over me. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can barely move. And, and it's a time of year that it's like, it's time to hunt. It's time to, you know, begin doing all these other things. So I'm packing a backpack, you know. And so, so whenever I pack my backpack, it's this painstaking thing of, of the things that I absolutely have to have. Because it's just, I'm, I'm going to be carrying this backpack 20 miles, 25 miles, 30 miles, who knows? And so as I was packing up this backpack, I, I started to think about how I had packed backpacks a long time ago, whenever I first began hunting. And in fact, the first time I packed my backpack, it, the thing was probably 100 pounds. Like, seriously, it was like, uh, you know, I have to have all this stuff, you know? And so I had this big backpack, and I had a couple of changes of clothes and socks and an extra pair of shoes and sandals. And I had, had solar panels um, to attach my cell phone to um, so I could take pictures throughout the hunting trip, and I had tons of food in case I got really hungry, and I brought a whole bunch of food. So I brought a backpack inside of a backpack that I would put somewhere else in case I got attacked by coyotes, you know? And so there was kind of all these things that I was afraid of, like, like what if it poured a bunch of rain, and I got soaking wet. I'd have to have all this extra clothes, or, or what if the coyotes came, or, or what if I was really, really, really hungry, and I only had so many calories, and I'd be really, you know, hungry, so I have to pack extra food, and, and just all this stuff goes into this backpack, and I put it on, and, and I'm like hunching down like this my whole trip, and it was terrible. I remember going up and just being exhausted from the hike, and I carried this backpack everywhere. During that first trip, there was kind of even something that happened. I had this backpack and my bow was back there and I'm like huffing and puffing and I'm exhausted and the whole point's to hunt, right? But I'm too tired to hunt. And so this big bull elk, like my first time out, walks across and I just stand there like this. You know, like, there's no way I'm getting my bow out. I can't take my pack off again because I'll have to put it back on. And this is ridiculous. And so, so, so this whole thing that happened was, you know, it be, so, so it didn't become about the hunting trip. It was all about the b b backpack and the, the preparing and carrying this thing all over the mountain that actually took the joy out of everything. And this backpack was so heavy because, you know, I was, I was afraid of being outside by myself. Let's just be honest. It's like, it's going to be dark out there, and I have to have a couple of flashlights and a lot of batteries and, you know, a heavy tent, and it's going to be cold, and, you know, all these things that I was afraid of, and I was afraid of just, you know, I don't come home. And so this backpack was going to keep me safe. So as I was thinking about the backpack, I started thinking about, like, oh, my gosh, that's my life. I started thinking about my daily life and, and how, how like a long time ago after I got kind of out of college, I was, I was, you know, I was excited. You know, I was going to be, be, a, be this person who did things very differently than 
my parents and I was going to change the planet and I was inspired and I was going to go out and do meaningful things for people. And then I got a job and I got insurance policies and a 403B and I got, I got all these things. And I started having kids and I started thinking about my kids. And, and, and so all of a sudden my backpack got more full and more full and, and what has something happened to my kids? And so I got this and what, you know, the cars we have, they, they're terrible. It's a Kia and I should be, be driving something else because this is not safe. And so, so then I just tried to upgrade, get more, you know, protect myself. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And, and so 10 years, 12 years down the, the road, I'm 35 carrying this huge backpack to protect myself because I'm afraid of everything that could possibly happen. It is... There anyone here who has had a similar experience that our entire lives seem to be consumed by all the things that could happen but don't happen but we're very protected in case they do happen and so everything goes into protecting ourselves and investing in our futures and and kind of boarding off anything horrible that could happen. And so our backpacks are heavy. Day after day, we're carrying these things around that's supposed to be an enjoyable, inspirational daily life. But the big bowl out comes up in front of us and we say, we're too tired to enjoy our kids. We're too tired to be a good husband. We're too tired to have any fun. We're too tired, got insurance to pay. You know, we're too tired to be who I was supposed to be such a long time ago. And sometimes we just have to sit down and evaluate what's in our backpack. And we just say, is this truly inspired? Is this what God really wanted me to be? Am, am where I am at, the place that I have dreamt of? And oftentimes, if we're honest, the answer is no. And we're in this sermon series. It's brilliantly titled, Life inspired. Life inspired. Like, that's the best sermon title ever. Life inspired. It'd be awesome if I could say it. You know? And it's the best sermon title ever because it's like, that's what we dream of and that's what we want. And we want people to point at us and say, man, they get it. They did what I wanted to do. Or they're so inspired. We want to live a Life that's inspired. So, so we've been talking about embracing and engaging and experiencing because life you know, isn't something that's supposed to pass us by or something that that that, that, that you simply believe in. It's something you engage in. It's something you experience. It's something you grab by both hands and say, "This is my ride." But oftentimes it isn't like that at all because we're too tired and it seems to be for everyone else but us. So today, today, we are talking about a fantastic topic. We're talking about a fantastic topic that could change everything. I believe it could change everything. And, and the goal is, is that so do you at the end of this. This topic is brilliant and good and beautiful. It is something that causes people to get up super, in the, super early in the morning. It's something that causes us to stay up super late at night. It's something that causes us to get good jobs. It's something that causes us to be in horrible jobs. It's something that people will fight over, kill over. It is 
something that motivates us more than anything else. It is something that is so, so, so important. But before I tell you the topic, I want to just bring up the point of being here at church. And I want to bring up the point of the gospel that we all say is such a huge part of our lives. We come here to church so it can change us. Coming to church is not to be comfortable, it's to change us. The gospel, furthermore, it's to change us. It ought to, it, the gospel should confront us and challenge us. The gospel shouldn't be only something that you and I feel comfortable teaching to other people, but the gospel should teach us. We should not be paging through the Bible. The Bible should be paging through our hearts. And so if we are doing a great job at church, it's every time we come, we are challenged to change. And that's where I'm coming from tonight. And I'm going to put myself out there and we're going to be vulnerable together. Because tonight's topic is the thing that my wife and I fight over all the time. It's brutal. Every time this comes up, there is a war in my house. Yes, that is correct. My wife and I fight a lot over the topic of money. It's the thing, you know, as soon as she says, I got something to talk about. It's like money. No, I hate talking about money more than anything. And so, so whenever tonight I was like, I got to talk about money. I hate talking about money because it's cold and dead and harsh. And in my household, it's embarrassing to talk about. It's embarrassing for me to talk about money because I just hate it. See, I'm a poetic guy. I like things that have heartbeat and soul and color. Money is just dark and dirty, and, and people kill over and fight over it, and it feels gross to me. It's true. And this is, this is the thing. Money is a topic, and it, 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 it is the thing that causes you to get up day after day after day. It, it is the thing that forces you to challenge your kids to do awesome in school. It is why you get good grades. It is why you continually push yourself. It is the thing on the forefront of your mind almost all the time. Do I have enough? Will I have enough? How's it going? Are they up or down? And we don't ever talk about it because it's cold and dead and harsh and embarrassing and yuck. That's true. And for me, I'm just a common guy. I, I truly am. I don't want a ton of it, right? I, you know, I'm happy. I don't want a ton of it. But the thing I do want is to be comfortable. Like, for me, I want to feel like it's going to be okay. If something bad happens to me, it's okay. You know, if our house burns down, it's okay. Or, or I want, you know, whenever my kids get old enough for them to go to college, possibly any college that they want. I want them to feel okay. I want to feel safe. I want to have you know, insurance policies and a huge plan after I'm 65 so I can go down to Florida and fish all the time and feel okay. I, I don't want a ton of money at all. I just want security. I want to feel safe. I want to plan for my future so I feel like I'm doing something of value. For me, it's not a, how am I going to become a, a, you know, a, this huge business owner. I just want to feel safe. That's all I want. 
And the odds are that's how every one of us want. There's this drive for safety. There's this drive for security that whenever we talk about money, we point at it and we say, we just want to feel safe. We just want to feel provided for. We just want to feel secure. I'm just preparing for my future. I'm just packing the backpack in case whatever happens, we'll be safe. If the coyotes come, we got a backpack down the road. Right? I mean, that, that's me. That, don't get angry. This is my personal story, you know? And so, and, and, and so the, there's this idea that I have that somehow if I do an awesome job, I can pay for my future and I can pay for security. Like if I save up enough, I can own it and provide it for myself. Like God doesn't have to show up. Because I showed up and I provided for my family. And I feel that pressure. Does anyone else feel the pressure to secure the future that you have so that you will be safe? Can you insure and purchase a fantastic, safe future? I'm going to tell you absolutely not. But deep down in my heart, I say absolutely. Because I'm going to go home and continue to begin to pack my backpack more and more and more. Can you buy a secure future? And this is going to bring us to this fantastic passage in the Bible that you guys are going to love. All right, we're going to pop it up here. And as a congregation, we're going to say it together because this is a super long story that I'm excited about. It's found in Mark chapter 14. And here we go. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present saying dignity to another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages of money and given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have among you, and you can help them anytime you want, but she will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Love it. Okay, so I want to just talk about this story for a bit and kind of kind of breathe into it. So it's a human experience. Like this story happened. There were people involved. There were heartbeats involved. And I want to talk about the cultural context of this. So first of all, um, this whole story is taking place before Palm Sunday, the day that that, that Christ is going to be ushered into Jerusalem, you know, as the conquering king. Um, so context is important. So this is happening before Palm Sunday at the end you know, of his career. He has, he has uh, healed tons of people. He's preached fantastic sermons, the best sermons ever. And so he is at this house outside the city of 
Jerusalem before Palm Sunday, his disciples are present. And furthermore, it's the house of Simon, someone who had leprosy and Christ healed. And so he healed the unhealable and he was at his house. Furthermore, in the gospel of John, in the same story, it talks about the man he brought back from the dead had also been present. So who was that man? It was, help me out, guys. Lazarus. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so so he was present too. So, and then you got the disciples who were also there. So you have the disciples, a guy he brought back from the dead, and plus this healed guy who is super unhealable. And they're all present before Palm Sunday. This is a big thing. And following Palm Sunday is a crucifixion and all that happens. So this is at the end. And so, so there is hustle and bustle in the air. There's excitement. Like things are planned. Does you know, everyone have their palm branches type of thing. The king is here. And so, so it's awesome. And so then you have this woman who the, the Bible actually does not say who it is. And she has this jar of perfume. And it's this jar of perfume that is in, in a ceramic, it's, it's called alabaster, right? The perfume is in alabaster. And the thing that's important about that is the alabaster contains the perfume. It's like burnt into there. And so you can't just pop the cork and pour out the perfume, right? Um, so, so it is a closed container forever until it is shattered, right? And furthermore, the value of this perfume, it says is an entire year's salary, right? So in Colorado, that'd be like $40,000 of perfume, right? And, and the question would be, why the heck does this person have a bottle of $40,000 perfume? Because that's crazy to me. Who would spend $40,000 on a bottle of perfume? And the answer is actually pretty simple, and it's very easy to explain, because during the culture that that we are talking about here, um, whenever a woman is targeting a husband, she can say, I have... And so this is how valuable I am. You know, are you interested in being my husband? And so how much things that you you own shows how valuable you are as a person. And so in this $40,000 thing of perfume, this is her whole thing future. Okay, this is her security to find a husband. This is her security of, yeah, I'm going to have an awesome husband. And furthermore, I'm going to have kids and I'm going to be taken care of because of the value of this perfume. And so for her, everything is tied up in the value of this perfume. It is the security that everything is going to be okay. So as you, I picture the things that are happening and 
side of this house. First of all, there's a ton of people in there. There's a ton of people in this house. You got the disciples, you have, have the two women, you have Simon and probably his whole family. And like, there are people talking and blah, 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 and things are happening and people are eating. And then it says that this woman takes the alabaster jar and shatters it on the ground. Like, can you picture that? Like, have you ever gone out to eat? People are talking and then something falls on the ground and shatters and people are like, oh, or yay, you know? Like, it, it, it just, it's all different. The environment changes and it stops. And you're like, what just happened? So this woman takes this alabaster jar of $40,000 perfume and breaks it on the ground. Like, picture that. I mean, it's just fantastic if you think about it. You know what I'm talking? And then the disciples freak out. What did you do? And that's understandable, right? What did you do? That could have been sold for thousands and healed people and, and given to the poor. What did you do? This was your future. What did you do? And I think this is brilliant. This passage is brilliant because whenever you see the person of Christ, kind of even after the crucifixion, you have Peter, who's the closest to Jesus. And when Jesus dies, he's like, I don't get it. What happened? Why does this happen? I don't understand. Stand it at all. The people closest to Christ don't understand it and who he is. But here's this woman that the Bible doesn't even say who it is, but she's in the presence of Christ. He sees, she sees that he's brought this guy back from the dead, that he's healed the unhealable. He's going... He's going to go into Jerusalem tomorrow. This is the Messiah, and the Messiah will die she was the first person in the Bible to get it. And this is brilliant because in that, whenever you see Christ for who he truly is, the future and security and all that is silly because you know he is the future. He is your security. And there has to be funeral. The backpack has to be empty and the alabaster jar shatters on the ground. It's obvious and it's beautiful and it's good. Whenever you see Jesus for who he truly is, there has to be the shattering of the alabaster jar. And in that moment, she gave up the, I have to provide a husband for myself. I have to control the fact that I have to have children. I, I have to make sure that I'm provided for because the Messiah was right in front of her. And then whenever the disciples scorn her for it. Jesus says, she is preparing me for my burial. Like, that is beautiful. Like, like they're all planning this parade on, on, on horses and, and palm branches, and the king is here. And he's saying, she got it. She's preparing me for my funeral. This is good. And the scent of perfume is everywhere. 
Can you picture that? Like the scent of $40,000 perfume is everywhere. You can't escape it. It's like permeating the clothes that you have saying there is freedom in the air. You don't have to feel safe. You don't have to provide. Your backpack does not have to be heavy. Take it off. There is something that has to happen when you encounter God. It is true that whenever you encounter the face of God, change must happen. If you encounter God and change does not happen, I don't think you've encountered God. Every time we encounter God, change must occur. Whenever you sit at the feet of Christ, there is a shattering, there is a funeral, there is a burial, and there is resurrection every time. That's the thing we do. That's the church, and it's beautiful. So when you see Jesus for who he is as the promised safety, as the promised future, as the promised savior, what does that challenge you to do, you know, in the backpack that you have? For me, it just kind of like the, the imagery and the poetry of it's time to go through our backpack and say, do I need the solar panels to charge my cell phone? Because it's so heavy. And the things that I carry around that I think I need to carry around because I feel the pressure to carry around, he's like, you don't need to carry that around. It's so heavy. So I'm tired of heavy backpacks. I can't hunt and I can't be inspired and I can't live. The truth is, um, forever, I have been embarrassed to talk about, about money and finances because you know, I come from a family who is horrible at it. It was just horrible at everything that, that, that was about finances. And, and so I've embarrassed about it because I feel like I don't ever do it correct. And so after I got married, I, I followed things buy the book. I didn't buy things I couldn't afford. I've done everything correctly, but it seemed like I don't ever feel safe and I don't ever feel happy. And then whenever the topic of money came up, there was a fight. And I guess a fight, like a fight fight, <laughs> you know, like the bad ones. And I was like, I hate money. I hate it so much. And so after it has happened for a super long time, uh, so I got on Facebook and I said, hey, everybody, you know, I'm having a hard time with my finances. I think I'm doing okay, but, but how do you all help, you know, point things correctly towards God so that big fights don't happen? And so everyone, and to the point that I was like, okay, hands in the air, they all said, go to financial peace, right? And then in my head, I'm like, financial peace is for old people. I'm sorry, like, that, that's the thing I thought. You know, the guy on the cover of the book is old. You know, it's for, for people over the age of 50, you know, who have, like, gotten everything wrong. And, and so it's like that persona. But I asked, and then people all said financial peace. And so I'm like, all right, I have to go to financial peace. So, so I began doing financial peace, and it turned our family upside down. It turned our family upside down because it helped clarify things for me of, of the things that are important and the things that are not important. It helped, it helped clarify 
to me the things that are of God and things that aren't of God. It, it helped put things you know, in perspective that even though you know, I'm having fights all the time, so is everybody else. You know, it helped you know, bring the image of hope and here's how to kind of turn things upside down. And it's been a beautiful journey for me over the past couple of years. It has changed my family drastically to the point that I love talking about finances. Like, I love talking about money because the truth is, money in our hands, it is cold and disgusting and harsh and slimy. But in God's hands, it's like this beautiful, powerful thing that he breathes in and like says, there is hope. It's amazing to me. Like, I hated talking about it because I was afraid of it, but you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid of the things that drive you and inspire you. And this is the thing that is, that the, that's pulling down your backpack. It's time to evaluate that because personally, I think there's a ton of you out there who are in the situation that I had been in. And there is freedom from that. There is peace in that. And there is beauty in that. Because the church should not be afraid to talk about anything. Because God has a plan for everything. Like, okay, so for instance, it's hypothetically here. So the Old Testament, God talks about the tithe, right? So hypothetically, it's just an example for here in the church, okay? So I'm talking about God having a plan for everything. It's awesome. So, so I hear all the time, like, like, how come there's poor people? How come there's poverty? How come people, you know, where is God in that? So God had this plan in the Old Testament. It was for the church to give 10% of the income. So, so I was talking to someone who actually crunched down, you know, the, the finances, you know, as far as the church, you know, goes globally, right? And he's brilliant. And he thinks about everything. And I said, hey, what would actually happen if the church tithed 10%? Hypothetically here, because the church globally only tithes about 2.5%. And then he sent me this. He said, so if the church changes from tithing 2.5% to 10%, here's the things that could happen. There'd be 25 billion dollars that could end hunger across the world for five years. There'd be money to cure all preventable diseases for five years. There'd be money to solve the world's sanitation problems forever. And then there'll be a billion dollars to fully fund fully fund the overseas sees missionaries across the board for 10 years, and then there'd be 100 to 110 billion extra for the church to continue doing the things that they do and to expand. Isn't that amazing? Like, I mean, just, just in general, it's like God had a plan, you know, to fight against poverty, and God had a plan to fight against hunger. Hunger shouldn't happen. If the church tied 10%, there wouldn't be hunger. There wouldn't be poverty. There would not be half of the problems on earth that there would be, and the church would continue to do more than it's ever done and grow. 
It's beautiful. Like money in the hands of God is brilliant. So the question I have is just simply, so is the money that you have found in the hands of God? Or is it in your own hands? Is the money you have, is it cold, dead, and harsh, and embarrassing? Or is it brilliant, and vibrant, and alive? This is a good question to ask. And it it, it isn't something to be embarrassed about. So the question is, is what is a part of your financial backpack whenever you you open it? What is it that you evaluate and and see in there? Are you proud of it? Are you inspired by it? Does it cause you to pick the chest up and be able to hunt very well, to be inspired who you believe to be, who you were going to be all along? Does your backpack bring you up and allow you to hunt, or does it bring you down and so you barely do anything that you had hoped to do before? Because the gospel is all about taking this heavy burden, something you feel like you should be carrying, and he says, no, it's too heavy. I got this. That's what Jesus does. He says, I got this. Break your alabaster jar. Let the perfume go and permeate everything. At the end of the passage, he says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the story is told about the gospel, her story will be told also in honor of her. It's kind of like the idea of the gospel and the idea of surrender go hand in hand. So if you embrace the gospel and do not surrender, are you actually embracing the gospel at all? So in the book of Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Christ tells us, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on... Religion, come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your entire life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk alongside of me. Watch how I do it. Learn and pick up the unforced grace that I offer you. I will not give you anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with you and I together, and she she will be free. How many of us just desire to take off the backpack and be free from it and to break the alabaster jar at his feet and say, you are the Messiah. You got this. I surrender. I know I do. Please pray with me. Oh God, we thank you for who you are as God and King and Savior and Creator and Conqueror and Provider and Shepherd and Teacher.
God, we affirm you that you are our Father who gives us good gifts, who thinks about our future, who provides our safety. We affirm you as the King who takes care of his people, who heaves things out upon the children that he cares about. God, we affirm that you give us more and more than we actually have to have. Teach us to be generous. God, we affirm that you are a generous God, that you give everything, including of your own self, that you would come and you would die for us. Please teach us how to die for others. God, we affirm that you are, you are our Father, and that you are our path, and you are our direction. You are our teacher who teaches us. Please teach us how to be teachable to hear the challenges that you give and that you put out. God, we affirm that you are a God of inspiration and beauty and goodness. Teach us to believe that things can be inspired. Teach us to believe that things can be beautiful and that things can be good. God, you are the God of hope. You are the God of peace. And you are the God who pays paths for people who believe that there are no paths. Thank you. God, in this time, do what you do. And see our hearts as an offering to you and for you to do what you want. Our hearts are yours. God, help us to believe the things you say are true and that our story isn't done yet. Help us to believe in freedom and the backpack can come off. Help us to be inspired and have hearts that beat loudly. God, show us that you're here. Speak to us. Speak to us as a church and speak to us as people. Speak to us as children who adore you. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Christ, I pray. So as a church, we have the opportunity to take communion. So how about we all stand up? And here's, here's kind of what's going to happen. Um, communion is an opportunity um, to embrace the truth that Christ died for us and that his body was broken for us and his blood was spilled for us so that, that you can experience freedom. That's what it's all about. It's about freedom. And so, so whenever you participate in communion, you are affirming freedom is at hand. And that's across the board. It's for everything that you surrender to God. Freedom is at hand. Your backpacks don't have to be heavy. Your souls don't have to be heavy. They can be breathed into, can be inspired and good. So in the upcoming songs, you guys can take your time and you can participate kind of in communion however and whenever you want. There are tables that have communion all over the place in here. Um, so pick a table and go towards it. There's bread and there's 
excuse because God has prepared a table for you. And it's been prepared for you for a super, super long time. And it's a beautiful place. So I invite you to come and partake whenever you want.